afternoon. You are listening to The Scoop on CFRC 101.9 FM, CFRC.ca, and podcasting on Spotify and iTunes. I'm Kareem Mosna. This week on The Scoop. It's an unprecedented uh, set of circumstances. We haven't really seen anything like this before. We've seen high inflation before, but we haven't seen all of these contextual factors coming together that are driving the inflation. With inflation expected to hit or even surpass 8%, the Bank of Canada raised the interest rate a full percentage point to 2.5%. That's the highest it's been since 1998. Assistant Professor Continuing Adjunct of Policy Studies at Queen's University, Eugene Lang, joined me to share some perspective and some insight. We're, of course, in a very unique position right now with the economy. Uh, Labor shortages, very high inflation, uh, and of course, the Bank of Canada raising the interest rate a full percentage point to 2.5%. Uh, why are we seeing all of these uh, interest rates uh, going up? Well, as you said, inflation in Canada is at uh, about a 40-year high, uh, probably since the early 80s. I think about since 1981, in fact. Uh, I don't think we've had an inflation rate at this level of around almost 8%. Uh, As it is in many, if not all of the advanced countries, we're seeing inflation levels that we haven't seen in a long, long time. In the United States, it's over 9%. That's a 40-year high. In the United Kingdom, it's over 9%. That's a 40-year high. Even in places like Germany, it's 8%. So this inflation is new. It's high. It's an international problem. And the main way governments deal with it is by through central banks raising interest rates, which is what we're seeing all over the developed world and elsewhere. There are some fears uh, with regards to these these interest rate rising uh, in the increases. There's been fears of recession. Uh, do, do you feel that there there is that risk right now? Well, there is that risk. I mean, history tells us that When central banks like the Bank of Canada try to cool down overheated economies and the central bank in this country in its monetary policy report of yesterday or the day before actually described the Canadian economy as overheated. When central banks try to cool economies, they try to do it in a way that doesn't create recessions. But often, historically, we have seen that it does lead to recessions. It's a delicate balancing act between trying to cool down an overheated economy without tipping it into a recession. And if you read the monetary policy report of the Bank of Canada from the other day, there's a whole section in there where they don't actually don't actually use the R word, but clearly they're alluding to the risks of a recession if they're unable to bring inflation down and inflation expectations among the Canadian public in particular down in a relatively short period of time. Now, in terms of actually cooling things down, cooling inflation, these these incremental increases, is this proven to help uh, curb the inflation rate? Well, it's it's the main tool that central banks have. It's the main method of reducing inflation that countries have adopted for decades now. Um, And it it usually works. It will work. Uh, The question is how long it will take before it really has an effect. There is a lag effect. How many interest rate increases are needed and how large those increases need to be. And the Bank of Canada, you know, doesn't really know the answer to those questions. They make very informed estimates, 
of what it's going to take. And we've seen, I guess, this year already three interest rate increases. And I have to say, we start from a historically low base of interest rates. That's the other thing to keep in mind. I mean, interest rates have been historically low uh, even before the pandemic, but certainly at the beginning of the pandemic, Canadian central bank and other central banks reduced interest rates because of the uh, effect on the economy of shutting it down, basically, to deal with it with the pandemic. So we're starting from a low base, but it is, they are increasing them significantly. We saw this 1% increase the other day, and that's the largest single rate increase by the Bank of Canada in 20, almost 25 years. And it's likely that we're going to see continued rate increases throughout the rest of this year from the Bank of Canada. They've signaled to that effect uh, back in January or February when the governor of the central bank said, you know, they're moving to a rate increase posture and it's a path and a path has more than one step. And so he was clearly signaling that we're going to see several rate increases uh, throughout this year, at least. So taking an incremental uh, approach to balance the effects of raising interest rates uh, with, with the goal to, to help to, to, to cool things down with regards to inflation. I guess to, to, to think about consumers, what does this mean for, for the everyday consumer? Well, you don't have to be an economist to know that there's a lot of inflation in the economy. I mean, we all see it and feel it, I think, every day, unless you're extremely wealthy. Uh, most people are noticing you know, in a very big way the inflation and, and the way it's affecting their budget and their lifestyle. There's actually a Leger poll this week that said, found that 81% of Canadians think prices will continue to rise and that 59% of Canadians think we're in a recession. And that's mainly because they see these price increases. Because, uh, and it's a bit unusual for to see a, a poll like that when we have historically low unemployment at the same time. So people are really feeling it, even though they're employed. You see it in food prices. You see it in goods prices. You see it, obviously, in energy prices. Um, the Bank of Canada noted in a survey, a consumer survey it did recently, that consumers are also noticing things, and you might have noticed this, I have too, for like uh, the quantity of food that they're buying is smaller than it used to be, and the price is also going up. So it's all over the place. We're seeing inflation everywhere in the economy now. Uh, more than half of the CPI, Consumer Price Index Components, according to the Bank of Canada, are rising faster than 5%. So it's not just a couple of things in the economy that are driving inflation. It's all over the place. And people see it and feel it. And it has a real effect on, on consumers. And in, in a way that we haven't seen in 30 years, this is you know the interesting thing about it. You have to be you know, basically over 45 or 50 to have really remembered when we had this type of inflation in the past. We haven't had it in 30 years. Just, just curious though. Looking back at the twenty, thirty years ago, um, were we? Was it kind of mirroring now, where you know we have very high inflation, interest rate uh, increasing? Um, but I don't. If I correct me if I'm wrong, but were labor shortages part of the equation at that time? No, we had high unemployment and high inflation at the same right. time in the seventies and eighties. This is referred to often referred to as stagflation. So that's one difference. Right now, we have historically low unemployment and relatively high inflation. 
back in those days, in the early 80s, for example, the unemployment rate was up around 12, 13% as the inflation rate was when, during that inflationary problem. So that is one significant difference um, than back in those days. And what is the highest that interest rates have reached in our history? I guess that would be in 1981-82 when interest rates reached around 20%, 19-20%. I can remember it, actually. Uh, I was uh, not that old at the time, but I do remember it. Um, a lot of people lost their houses as a result of that particular um, attempt, attempt to bring inflation down by the central bank. Uh, I, we're not going to get anywhere near that uh, to deal with this problem. Because again, we're starting from interest rates at a very low and stimulative rate uh, and moving them up, the bank is moving them up to what it calls at least to what they regard as a neutral rate uh, where they will neither stimulate nor hopefully contract the economy. They may have to go, they may have to go beyond that though, as I say, part, part of this is, you know, there's a bit of a guessing game here about what it's really gonna take to bring that inflation level of around 8% back down to their target range of 2%. They estimate or they forecast that uh, next year, 2023, they, they think they can get inflation down to about 4.5% and they hope by 2024, they can get it back down to just over 2%. So it's going to be a, a bit of a slow and drawn out process to try and get things back to, to normal, so to speak, with inflation. I think that's a very fair comment. It's going to, this is going to take time. There is a lag effect uh, on these rate increases and, and the, uh, the effect they actually have on the economy. It is going to take time. We're going to be living with inflation well above what we're used to, at least for the next couple of years and maybe, maybe beyond that. And we're going to start, we're starting to see it already, um, interest rates going up and that obviously has an effect on consumers in a, in a lot of ways. We're already seeing the effects of this in the housing market. I mean, I read one statistic that said that in Toronto, the housing market in June dropped 41% compared to last year. And you can, you can conclude that that's almost entirely attributable to these rate increases and the expectation that they're going to continue. So th these rate increases, there are positives uh, directly, just as the example you just mentioned with regards to, to someone lo looking to buy a house, looking to uh, to to buy in that sense. This 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 is a positive as well. Well, I don't know if it's a positive because those that own homes uh, that are in, on variable rate mortgages are seeing their mortgage rates go go up immediately, and whether they'll be able to afford that is a question. And those that are on in fixed term mortgages that have to uh, you know, renew anytime soon, they're, they're going to be paying a lot more. So, it, you know, it's, it's good in the sense that it's taken some of the demand out of the housing market, but for those who have mortgages, it's not, it's not a good story. Definitely. So yeah, a 1% increase for someone with a mortgage that, that can, that they're, they're, they're going to feel it is what I'm getting at. Yes. Yeah, and it's going to be more than a 1% increase before we're finished here, for sure. It's going to be at least a 2 or a 3% increase, but at least before, before this story is over. What does this mean for, for, for local businesses in, in these, these incremental increases? Well, that's a good question. Um, the main problem that businesses face right now, as you alluded to, I think, at the outset, is labor supply 
shortages. We're basically seeing the economy operating at what I would call full employment. Um, the Bank of Canada actually says in its report, it's uh, the labor market has sustained or surpassed maximum sustainable employment. That's, I think, a way of saying that we're at full employment. So the big problem for businesses, I don't think right now is so much interest rates, it's labor supply. Uh, and that is feeding through that labor supply shortage to some degree is feeding through into higher wage demands, which is also putting a little bit of pressure on inflation as well. And because businesses are passing those costs on to the consumer, um, that seems to be the big short term issue for business. Those that are leveraged and have lots of debt uh, are going to face obviously higher borrowing costs and certain debt servicing costs. So that's, that's uh, not a good thing either, uh, obviously, but I think their main, the main problem for business right now across the economy in all different sectors of the economy, both low and high skilled seems to be labor shortages. You know, we've got an unemployment rate that's I think at about a 45 year low. Well, again, definitely a, a very unique position that uh, we're in right now. So, and, and thank you for for sharing, you know, some some perspective on what this means. I think it, it can be challenging sometimes for the average person to sort of understand what this all means sometimes. So, I think it's it's well, great it's challenging yeah. for the central bank to understand what it all means and where it's all going. I mean, this is an unprecedented. It really is an unprecedented uh, set of circumstances. We haven't really seen anything like this before. We've seen high inflation before, but we haven't seen all of these contextual factors coming together that are driving the inflation because we haven't been through a pandemic like this and the after effects of a pandemic in a hundred years and things were a lot different a hundred years ago during the Spanish influenza. So um, it's, it's difficult and complicated and uncertain even for the so-called experts and the Bank of Canada has acknowledged that in their recent report where they said they basically got this wrong. They made estimates and calls about inflation pressures and the path of the economy last fall that they acknowledge were really off the mark because they didn't really understand what's going on out there in both the, mainly in the international economy, but also to a degree in the domestic economy. So everybody's a bit confused and uh, it's going to take a while before we, we see clear as to where the Canadian economy is actually going to head in the next two or three years. I don't think anybody ha has uh, an absolutely certain read on that yeah no one has a crystal ball but but what it does appear to, just in the immediate future some more incremental uh interest rate increases yeah. uh, with with the hope of of getting inflation back to a manageable uh percent for sure yeah back to their target range of between one and three percent yeah you are listening to The Scoop on CFRC 101.9 FM, cfrc.ca, and on podcast. I'm Kareem Mosna. A special thanks to Professor Eugene Lane for providing that insight into the Bank of Canada's decision to raise interest rates. Please join me tomorrow at 5 for Citizen K, where I will speak to the community to hear their thoughts and concerns with the inflation rate and the interest rate hike. That's coming up tomorrow afternoon here on CFRC. Now over to Christina to find out what's going on in the local arts scene. This is Christina Laurie coming in with your arts news updates. Writers Fest 2022 just announced their lineup for this year's festival on Wednesday, July 13th. They've also posted a tentative events list. 
I spoke with artistic director Aaron McCulley, who chatted a bit about these exciting announcements. Here's a bit of what she had to say about this year's festival. So you guys just put out a tentative events sheet, 30 plus events, is that right? That's right, yeah. So 30 plus uh, onstage events, and then we also have our writer studio classes and some school visits, which we have back this year. And I'm Awesome. I just thought there's events sort of for everyone. So did you want to give a few examples of events planned? Sure, yeah. So the festival is really um, for the community. And so as you mentioned, there's um, programming for all ages and all different genres. Uh, we have things like uh, fiction. We've got Heather O'Neill opening up um, with a historical fiction book on Wednesday night. We also have thrillers. We've got Ian Reed for that and need a prose with a kind of a cozy mystery. And then on the nonfiction side, we have uh, Dr. Gabor Mate, which is our marquee Thursday event, talking about the connection between mental illness and addiction and trauma. And then we have our big idea panel, which is always the sort of cherry on top on Saturday night with Carol Off. And she's got Taja Issen, um, Stephen Marsh and Robin Maynard talking about the weaponization of words. So the way that um, politicians and other individuals have taken words like fascist and dictator and woke and spun them for their own reasons. So I think that'll be uh, a lot of fun. We've also, speaking of fun, got um, uh, Ali Hassan, who is a stand-up comedian, author, and host of Canada Reads, doing a literary trivia night for us this year. Uh, there's also poetry, there's francophone programming, um, environmental issues, so yeah, the, and food events. So This is all over five days, This right? is all over five yeah. days, yeah. <laughs> so genre and emotional roller coaster in the best way possible yes. <laughs> for five days. Yeah. Love that. And there's also a writing retreat, isn't there? There is, yeah. So that is something um, we've done... Sort of in a really concerted way um, for the last five or so years. Um, so it's twelve different authors, um, all award-winning authors, and they're doing intensive two and a half hour classes on different points of writing craft. So um, given the themes this year, uh, which is really looking at identity and mental health and activism, there are classes, a lot of classes on um, biography, writing your own story, um, how to do an effective interview, um, and then also how to get published and everything kind of in between. So it, it should be really interesting. You just announced your whole lineup. Mm -hmm. Was that last night, Wednesday? It was last night. Yeah. yeah so how was yeah. the launch party? Great. Um, so we... You know, this year I think is really about focusing on the community, coming back uh, in person. And so we wanted uh, it to feel comfortable and cozy and intimate. And um, so we held it at a new event space downtown, which is Curate Social, which is a gorgeous uh, spot on King Street East. I'd highly recommend it. Um, and we had uh, a lot of our sponsors and supporters there local authors. We had Sarah Tiang reading there. Um, Sarah will be at the festival with her fantastic new poetry collection called Grappling Hook. Um, so yeah, it, it was just a really great uh, opportunity to see a lot of faces that we haven't seen in a couple of years. And just to be in that room with that energy and, and have it live was so encouraging. And of course, we got to announce the lineup and it's always nice, you know, you get excited when you're, <laughs> you're programming in your office, but to hear people go ooh is always <laughs> is always rewarding because it's like oh good we've done it right exactly all coming to fruition finally yeah, yeah. <laughs> so how many authors were there in total um we have about 
I think it's about 46 authors. Mm -hmm. Um, That doesn't include um, a lot of our moderators are authors as well. Mm -hmm. We've really tried to focus on uh, supporting local talent. So we have a lot of local authors participating and then most of our moderators are from the community as well. So people will see a lot of familiar faces and, and it's really just a celebration of the incredible talent that we have here. Um, I mean, we also have lots of international names um, or internationally renowned names. Uh, So uh, Joshua Whitehead is one that I'm really excited about. Uh, He's going to be coming here with his new memoir, which looks at uh, indigeneity and being um, a two-spirit person in a bridge sort of between two cultures. Um, Then we have... uh, uh, Guy Gavriel Kay in our author author event so he's um, he doesn't like to be called a fantasy fiction author but a lot of his worlds uh, it's it's a historical fantasy so it's kind of a parallel to the reality that we exist in but he's a beautiful writer we have Eva Stashniak, uh, Shyam Salvadurai, uh, Rawi Haj and then um, for our closing night event or closing afternoon event we have something new called the Last Chapter Brunch, which is going to happen at the Four Points Sheridan, and that's with David Adams Richards. And David has won a Gemini for his screenwriting. He's won the Giller Prize, he's won the Governor General Literary Award, and he's also won uh, the Matt Cohen Prize for uh, history of like the celebrating your body of work as an artist. Um, he's also a senator and a member of the Order of Canada, so that's going to be a, a great way to talk cap things off. Um, I should mention as well, um, for for local people, uh, we lost a really incredible author this year with Stephen Hyten. Um, he was uh, very well known to the community and the, uh, to the Canadian literary scene as well, um, over 40 year career. Um, so on the Sunday night as, or Sunday as well at the Four Points, we are gonna be doing an open mic celebration in recognition of of him and his uh, contribution to the community, and that is a free event. Era also mentioned that this year's Writers' Fest has the most non-binary authors than ever before, which is just one of the exciting things about this year's amazing lineup. Again, the festival will run from September 28th to October 2nd, 2022, and tickets are on sale now at kingstonwritersfest.ca. Paved Paradise Art Installation returns to downtown. A new public art installation in downtown Kingston invites passerby to imagine how they see Springer Market Square. The installation is part of Paved Paradise, an annual public art project that features the work of Kingston-based artists on pedestrian-level billboards across from City Hall. The project was created in 2018 by the city's Arts and Culture Services Department as a response to a council directive to beautify the city parking lot at the corner of Ontario and Brock Street. Paved Paradise, now in its fifth year, continues to offer a highly visible public platform for emerging artists in Kingston. This year's Paved Paradise features a new exhibit by Kingston artists Brie Rappaport and Lee Stewart. Titled Liminal Square, the exhibit invites viewers to consider a new perspective of Springer Market Square as a public space through color and mixed media, overlaid and collaged on archival photos. The artists bring a new perspective to the surroundings by including photographs of the immediate physical viewpoint, inviting community members and visitors to think about the rich history of the space and how it has been shaped over time. A jury made up of local artists and curators reviewed 16 submissions and selected Rappaport and Stewart's proposal. The city provides the exhibition infrastructure, coordinates the production and installation of the artworks, and covers all associated costs. 
Liminal Square will be exhibited until November. The Kingston Arts Council announced the recipients of the 2022 City of Kingston Arts Fund last week. The City of Kingston Arts Fund is an annual fund administered by the Kingston Arts Council on behalf of the City of Kingston and provides operating and project grants to local arts organizations, collectives, and artists to foster creativity at all levels and enrich how Kingston residents experience and engage with the arts. Operating grants foster sustainability among leading arts organizations by providing funding for operations and programming, and project grants fund the creation and presentation of arts projects to engage the community and professional artists. For the first time, individual professional artists were eligible to apply to project grants, in addition to nonprofit organizations and collectives. This year, the total amount available was $613,503. 28 grants in total were awarded this year, including Skeleton Park Arts Fest, Real Out Queer Film Festival, and many more. Sweat feature opera film just wrapped up in Kingston. A busy summer for Kingston's film industry is well underway with the Bicycle Opera Project wrapping the production of their new feature film Sweat after completing the majority of the project's filming in Kingston. The Bicycle Opera Project started in 2012. Now thanks in large part to a significant Canada Council Digital Now grant, the company has adapted its stage performance of Sweat to premiere as a feature film. Kingston Film Office Film Commissioner Alex Jansen said the production looked at shooting entirely in Hamilton, instead spending just two days there filming in an abandoned warehouse. But incentives and opportunities in Kingston brought over 90% of the production here. On the production of Sweat, industry professionals are working in key everyday roles, and students in applicable programs like SLC's hairstyling have been able to be included. The majority of working hands on this production have been Kingston-based, with a mix of students, film office interns, and local industry professionals. Sweat officially wrapped last Friday and is expected to be released digitally in September or October of this year. YGK music playlists are encouraging folks to listen local. The story was posted on The Wig recently as two playlists featuring exclusively Kingston artists went live earlier this month. The playlists, which are entitled Kingston Sounds and Music on Hold, can be found on SoundCloud or the City of Kingston's website if you'd like to listen. Here at CFRC, we are celebrating our 100th anniversary with an upcoming centennial concert on July 29th. We have a great lineup of local musicians with Hinterwood, Melancholy Caravan, Frank Ryan, and the Codas performing. Doors will open at 8 p.m. and music starts at 9. And you can get your tickets in advance on Eventbrite for $12 or for $20 cash at the door. That's all I have for you today, but thanks for tuning in to this week's Arts News Updates here on CFRC 101.9 FM. Thanks, Christina. Be sure to catch her show, The Kingston Curator, every Thursday afternoon at 5 for long-form interviews from the Kingston Arts community. Looking at your weather for the week... A few showers should end this evening, then clearing skies, a low 19, warming up tomorrow to a high of 27 with a mix of sun and cloud and a slight chance of a shower. Sun and clouds continue Wednesday, the high 26. Thank you for listening to The Scoop this week on CFRC 101.9 FM, broadcasting from Kingston, Ontario, on the traditional lands of the Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee people. You can find previous episodes of The Scoop by going to cfrc.ca.